Welcome, Green Future Growers, Progressive Radio Network listeners, and anybody who's new to the show. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer, and let's get growing. Hey, Green Future Growers. Did you get your copy of the Organic Gardener podcast, Garden Journal, and Record Keeper? One of the things that I've learned to be most beneficial for my guests that will save you time and energy is to keep detailed records of your garden journey. So I think I finally found the secret and made a garden journal data keeper that starts any day of the year because uh, you just fill it in. It's blank. There's no calendar. So you just it's got the days of the week. You can record temperature, freeze dates, frost dates, um, when you planted, what variety you got all in one place. So get your copy of the Organic Gardener podcast, Garden Journal, and Data Keeper today. Great treat for you today. I know you're going to love, but it's a little bit different. So this company called Growing Spaces reached out to me with this amazing article called Five Garden Herbs for Flu Season. And I said, it's a great article. I would love to share it with my audience, but I would also love for somebody from your company to come on and talk to my audience. So I'm going to read the article and then I'm going to play the interview I did with the owner of Growing Spaces, Growing Domes, which I think you're just going to love. They're these really cool greenhouse domes um, that they're making in Colorado, but First, I'm going to read to you their post, Five Garden Herbs for Flu Season. Boost immunity and beat the flu with these powerful medicines found in your kitchen window, found in your kitchen, window shelf pot, or year-round growing dome garden. You can use these five garden herbs for flu season to boost immunity and alleviate aching, nagging, cold, and flu symptoms. I honestly don't want to talk about the flu. It hit hard this year. It drags on, gets passed around, kind of clears up, comes back again, drags on, gets passed around. To make matters worse, when you or your children are in the thick of it, short-term memory loss seems to kick in. It's easy to forget what to do for yourself and your loved ones. We forget about convenient medicines found in everyday herbs. You know how to boost your immune system. You've heard about it and done it before. So what I'm about to share may not surprise you. However, this reminder might be the thing to get you back on track for effective and easy self-care. These five garden herbs might become your new best friends if you want to supercharge your immune system and beat the aches and pains of this flu season. I feel like I should mention this was written by Jason Stuck. Uh, So herb number one, sage, salvia officinalis, the thinker's tea, first of the garden herbs for flu. Drink sage tea this flu season and the next one end in between. Here's some sage advice. Drink sage tea. Called the thinker's tea, sage has been shown to enhance memory. That's why it's first on the list. Drink sage tea and remember there are power medicines in your garden. Also, sage tea is effective for relieving your sore throat and alleviates painful cramping in the gut. It's pungent, bitter, and astringent. Sage is also an antibacterial and a natural antiseptic that is high in vitamin K, vitamin C, and vitamin A. Drink sage tea and your sore throat will thank you as it tightens and tones the irritated and swollen tissue. To make sage tea, pour one cup of hot water over one teaspoon of dried sage or teaspoon two teaspoons of fresh leaves. Steep for 10 minutes and strain. Add my bad sage pun above and I'm refrain from telling you which herb it's time for next. Um, And there's a great picture of sage. And you all know that I do grow a beautiful sage plant. Well, my giant sage plant died, but I planted two new ones last year. I love sage. I like to use sage on my raviolis. Mike makes these homemade raviolis and I just make a delicious butter and thyme sauce that's to die for. Okay, back to the article written by Jason. Thyme. Thymus vulgaris, number two of the garden herbs for flu. Here's another tea to ease your sore throat, especially when it comes with a thick white coating on the tongue, congested mucus in the lungs, and spasmodic coughing. Also, thyme tea promotes pain relief from headaches, cramps, and body aches that are common territory of the flu. Moreover, it's antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and aids respiratory ailments. And it's a mood enhancer that fights depression. Yes, please, I'll have some, says Jason. Making thyme tea. Pour one cup of hot water over one teaspoon of dried thyme 
or two teaspoons of the fresh leaves. Steep for 10 minutes and strain. Sage and thyme are strong. They're bold and pungent. Let's freshen things up a little bit with a longtime favorite peppermint. Number three, mentha expiperita. Peppermint is an herbal tea favorite, and for good reason, it tastes good. It's refreshing, cooling, and soothing. Thankfully, it also helps in upset stomach, colds, flu, fever, headaches, and sinus congestion. Peppermint opens pores in the body and gives an escape route for excess heat when you had a fever. Make peppermint tea. Pour one cup of hot water over one teaspoon of dried peppermint or two teaspoons of fresh leaves. Steep for 10 minutes and strain. Also, peppermint is an excellent choice for an herbal steam to break up congestion. To make peppermint steam, pour just boiled water over a handful of leaves in a medium-sized bowl. Put a towel over your head and place your face just above the bowl. Catch and breathe in the rising steam. Make the temperature as warm as you can without burning yourself. Uh, here's number four, which isn't really technically a garden herb for flu. It's more like a root for flu or a bulb for flu. Is it a stem for flu? Who knew number four would be so confusing, but regardless, here comes garlic for flu. Allium sativum. With antiviral, anti-inflammatory, and antifungal benefits, garlic has been used for health and healing for thousands of years. It is by far one of the most powerful immune booster er boosting herbs. If you want to fight off sickness, if you're already sick and want to get back to health, you need garlic. Eat garlic. Eat it cooked. Eat it fresh and raw. Eat it any way to get it down. You will stink. Your scent will give you away if you're playing hide and seek, and you might want to refrain from whispering sweet nothings to that one you want to woo for a while. However, its medicinal qualities are legendary and effective, bar none. The stinking rose, it has been called before, should be one of your mainstay herbs for flu season. And here comes number five, rosemary. Rosemarinus officinalis. Another of common herbs for flu, rosemary can help with a fever during the beginning stages when you're cold and shivering. It's another one for the memory banks too. Similar to the sage advice from above, rosemary boosts memory and contains many beneficial properties. It's an anti-inflammatory. It has vitamin C and vitamin A. It's renowned for fighting infection, antifungal, antibacterial, and an antiseptic. To make rosemary tea, same directions. One cup of hot water over a teaspoon of dried rosemary, two teaspoons of fresh leaves, steep for 10 minutes and strain. Also, rosemary is another great herb for a congestion-breaking herbal steam. To make that, again, pour just boiled water over a handful of leaves in a medium-sized bowl, put a towel over your head, place your face just above the bowl, catch and breathe in the rising steam. Make the temperature as warm as you can without burning yourself. Rosemary smells amazing and the steam delivers relief to nasal and chest congestion. And a bonus, parsley, Petrosilinium crispum. Not just a throwaway fancy garnish. Parsley is not necessarily on the list to fight cold and flu symptoms. However, it builds health in many ways, as you'll see. It's an important herb to have on hand if you're brave enough to build your immunity with number four, the stinking rose. If you're eating fresh raw garlic to boost your immune system, you'll want to gather some parsley. But first, parsley can be used medicinally as a diuretic and is overall beneficial to the urinary system. It relieves stagnant digestion, bloating, constipation, and gas, while also stimulating a healthy appetite. It's an excellent source for folate and vitamin K1, giving possible benefits to heart health. Parsley is high in antioxidants and help reduce helps reduce systematic inflammations in the body. Eat fresh parsley. It's good for you. But eat more than this little sprig on the side of your fancy sandwich plate. I mean, eat large amounts, a big handful. Now for its magical quality. The reason to pair parsley with garlic, the reason it's a bonus herb on our list of garden herbs for flu season is... Da -da -da -da. It freshens your breath. As you munch cloves of garlic this flu season, chase it down with a handful of parsley. Everyone will thank you. Or at least they won't completely avoid you. The flu is chasing you. However, with these five garden herbs for flu season, you are not helpless. You can use these five garden herbs for flu season to alleviate the pain and discomforts of being sick. It's almost inevitable that you or someone you love will come down with the flu. It's out there chasing you down right now. You don't know from which direction, person or sneeze, it's coming. 
but you know it's there. Wash your hands. Wipe down the buggy handles at the grocery store. Be wary of the shared phones at work. Maybe all of those are worthwhile and good advice. However, it's also important to cultivate your own healthy immune system. We cannot control what other sick people do. They cannot be forced into total quarantine, so we have the luxury of staying healthy. We have no agency over our exposure, but we do hold the power to cultivate the natural defense shield of our own immune systems. We just have to do it, and the aids are waiting in the soil, on your windowsill planner, and sometimes already in your kitchen. So right now, go make some tea. Not oversweet chai or London fog full of caffeine and sugar. Make a powerful immune-boosting tea and drink it to wash down the crunchy clove of garlic you ate. Have your parsley handy. So I just, you know, I knew you would love that. I get, I probably get one article a week from somebody saying, will you post this on your blog? Um, and I always write them back and say, hey, I have a podcast. If somebody wants to come on, come on. Um, and so these guys actually came on and wrote me back and listened. So I knew you would enjoy this. It's, it's full of great information. Um, I know Michael for sure be happy if I start eating parsley after I eat garlic. So I hope you stay healthy this winter and enjoy the interview with the owner of the incredible growing spaces, garden domes. They're really cool. Check out their website. So here's Lem. I look forward to learning how to garden as we go and as I meet with customers and, and work with our team and, and so forth. Cool. Well, I can relate to that. I'm actually not the gardener here either. My husband's really the gardener and I've kind of been learning in a similar way. So we have a lot in common that way. Okay, great, great. So and then you guys are in Montana. Is that what you, uh, it looks like from the email? Yep. We're in Northwest Montana, but I have listeners all over. Like my biggest audience, obviously California, because I think just they have the most people and lots of gardens and then New York mm -hmm. and Texas and Florida. And I have a lot of listeners in Montana too. So kind of all okay. over. My show is great because of my awesome guests and just people have shared so much with us. So, but they also are very interested in green businesses and growing a greener future. I call them green future growers because we all kind of like believe in sustainability and environmentally friendly living and, you know, earth friendly living and just, um, I think a little more than just your average gardener who wants to grow vegetables. So I think right, that right. this conversation is going to be really like they're as interested in learning about what they can do to either grow their, they're kind of, you know, visionaries and entrepreneurs, a lot of people out there, you know, trying to figure out how they can, you know, make a green business, not maybe not necessarily gardening, but a lot of gardeners. So, um, yeah. anyway, do yeah, you I mean, want, do you have any questions for me or? Yeah, I mean, well, a couple of things. Yeah, I think that fits right in with what we're trying to do. We just, I mean, if you've been to our blog page, we, we did a whole summer's worth of kind of uh, what we called um, agents of change, where we kind of highlighted some of these these green businesses and communities and nonprofits that were really trying to build a more sustainable future using our products. But I mean, the, the videos were more focused on them and kind of then also how they use the dome. So I think that fits right in with some of your, your, your listeners. Um, but I was curious, yeah. How, how many listeners do you have across the country? Well, you know, when it comes to podcasting, it seems like it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what the difference <laughs> between a download is and what's an actual listener. I know for the most part, my show gets about 1,500 total downloads per episode on average after about six weeks. The standard's usually three or a month going out six okay. weeks. So, um, and then a lot of my episodes have been downloaded two to 3,000 times. But then I guess just because it's a download doesn't mean that's an actual listener. Like I don't know anywhere that you can get your stats to find out exactly how many subscribers you have. So okay. I don't know exactly to be honest. <laughs> and then like a thousand people like Google Analytics started sending me these emails last January because they keep telling me you're getting 1500 hits on your website like 1500 people are going to your website. A thousand people are going to your website. And like, that's been can pretty consistent this year, which is huge. But my problem there is they leave within 60 seconds. Like they are just going there and leaving right away. So I have not figured out what yeah. it is they're looking for on my website 
That being said, my show notes are extremely long, which does get me great SEO, which is probably why all these people are going to my website. But yeah. what they're looking for there, I think they want more video. Um, and just right now, I'm just audio. So I've um, my husband and I have been working on this garden course for like a year. Like we started it last year. I'm a teacher by trade. And so last year over Christmas vacation, we just... I don't know, somehow, like, I was driving home on Friday night, and I could see the whole table of contents, and we came out with, like, these 12 lessons, you know, kind of designed, like, 12 months in a year, um, and we pounded out the first six lessons, and then I had to go back to school, and, like, I don't know, I've been working on the other six lessons since June, and have not really, but I'm kind of really wrapping it up now, so... I'm okay. hoping when that's done, I'm going to have more video and people have told me they want to see more pictures of our actual place. And so different things that people like, I actually talk to my listeners, which is like one of the big things everybody always tells you, like get on the phone, talk to people who are listening. So I reached out to people in my Facebook group, people have like answered my emails and actually talked to, and I actually tend to have a lot of my listeners on as guests. They make some of the best episodes because a lot of it is new to them. Although truth be told, a lot of my listeners have been gardening for five, 10 years, um, and kind of have more than a basic, a lot of them are even master gardeners and people kind of more along the lines yeah. of my husband. His goal yeah. is to grow enough food to feed us. So we don't okay. mostly produce, I mean enough. And I'm a big produce eater. I'm the organic eater at our house. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of my listeners are there, but it's a huge curve. I mean, there's a big difference between just growing like a little bit of, you know, some tomatoes and some lettuce in the summer and growing what I call his mini farm and growing food yeah. to produce, and then going to markets like a whole nother step. And I'm not even sure we'll ever get there, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Kind of a long story it, short there for how many listeners do I have? I have no idea. Truth be told. <laughs> Yeah. No, you're doing the right things. I and mean, we're in the same thing with SEO versus content. We have a lot of words on our website. Uh, we're starting to try to add more videos, more infographics, things of that nature. But there's there's a fine line but on that, in that balance. So. And that's something else. Like, I had never really heard of an infographic the other day. Or, like, I don't know. I was listening to this SEO show, and he was talking all about infographics video and infographics video and infographic have a video and an infographic like at least once a month if not once a week yeah and so um i didn't even really know what an infographic was so then i was looking at them and i tried to make one and i'm not sure i hit the mark and but i'm gonna try to for the next like that's gonna be one of my 2019 goals to come out with 12 infographics yeah yeah you know absolutely. one month yeah. So I have all to do to put the podcast out <laughs> once a week. <laughs> I mean, that's huge. And, you know, I go back and forth between the transcribing my show notes. For one, I do my own personal editing of the show, and that's the main focus. And I'm just I'm a pretty fast typer, so for the most part, I can keep those show notes. It doesn't take that much longer to type it as it does to do that audio editing. And I just feel like there's a few reasons why I like to do the audio editing myself. One... If for, in order for me to like really grasp the information that they're telling me and be able to kind of like, you know, synthesize that with the other guests that I've had on my show with what my husband's doing here for me to really remember it, especially now up to like episode 250, I think you're 256, remembering what people say and kind of putting it all together just listening to it the first time I do that interview just isn't enough for me. So it's good for me to go back and listen to those interviews over and, and kind of type up the notes. There's also like, as a teacher, I feel there's a definite connection between your finger, either writing or typing what somebody says. And it like kind of almost like I would teach the kids going up your arm to your brain. There's just something yeah. kinesthetic about that. So I feel like it's good for me. Like if I was going to write a book or like we're working on this course, stuff like that. Right. Right. And, and how long usually are the podcasts? Are they usually about an hour or do they kind of vary depending on well, your guests and the content? My ideal would be 35 minutes, but okay. I am picked up on this thing called Progressive Radio Network in New York on Monday nights. And they, the files need to be between 53 and 58 minutes that I send them. 
Okay. And truth be told, it takes about that to answer my questions. Like, that's okay. kind of just what their natural flow goes to. I mean, I did talk to someone for like two hours the other day, and I haven't done that in a while. My listeners have told me they like longer. Longer's better. They're very interested in the content. It really depends on what okay. you have to say or what people have to say. Are you thinking of starting a podcast? No, no. I was just curious. I actually do have a 2 o'clock or 45 minutes, um, so... Okay. I could either try to reschedule that if you think we're going to go longer than, than 45 minutes. Um, or no, let's just get it to up. it and we'll just, we'll just go. Are you going to okay. be good or do you need to like, do you want to like, we might be ending right at two o'clock. Yeah. I mean, and it's just a phone call so we can end right at two and I can just jump on, jump on the other one. Okay. Well, let's go with it then. So I'll just introduce you and we'll go from there. Okay. Sounds great. Tell me how to say your last name. Tingly, T-I-N-G-L-E-Y. And, and then the your website again? Uh, www.growingspaces.com. Okay, cool. Okay, so it's just going to be simple, and then I'm going to let you tell everybody about you. So okay. welcome, welcome to the Organic Gardener podcast today. I am super excited to introduce my guest because he's another green future grower out there, and they reached out to me from their amazing website called growingspaces.com, and so here to talk to us today is Lem Tingley, who's the founder, and so go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, Lem. Yeah, I'm actually uh, the, just the owner of Growing Spaces. We're, we're based in Pagosa Springs. Uh, my wife and I actually bought the company uh, in April of this year from the founders of the company. Uh, their names are Ugar and Pooja Parsons, um, and they developed the Growing Dome almost 30 years ago uh, after working with Buckminster Fuller and John Denver uh, at the Windstar Ranch out in Aspen, Colorado. Um, it's a geodesic greenhouse kit that allows you to grow fresh organic food year-round, even in extreme climates like here in Colorado or Montana or, or California. Uh, so I'm excited to be here, and, and thanks for having me. Well, I just loved the pictures on your website when I first went there. And so I think it was somebody from your organization like reached out to me with like a blog post they wanted me to post and a link on my website. And I was like, no, 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 you need to actually somebody's got to come on the show and talk about it. Um, I don't really do that. And so um, but the pictures when you go there are just the coolest thing. And, you know, my listeners are definitely interested in learning how to extend their season and how to grow. I mean, one of the things I have learned is that it's almost easier to grow here in Montana than is in a lot of warmer spots. But we still like we struggle for sure to get tomatoes to turn ripe in the summer. And I'm like, you know, crunching at the bit right now for lettuce, especially I finally brought down because Mike grew almost enough produce that I haven't had to buy hardly any since August. And I finally broke down to buy my first bag of lettuce the other day. And what do they do? They recall the romaine, you know, and so, yeah, exactly. um, you know, being able to get and then just the whole geodesic dome design thing, I always think is so cool. So before we get into that, though, I always do start off asking about like your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Like, what'd you grow? Who were you with? Like, did you grow things as a kid at all? Yeah, actually, uh, we had a plot at a community garden. I grew up in Massachusetts, just outside Boston. And there was a farm there called Codman Farms. And and my mom bought a, a plot there. She wasn't really a gardener either. So she would take me and my brother and every summer and we'd go grow our own vegetables. It was just, you know, probably you know, 10 square feet of gardening space, right? Not a whole lot, but enough where we could get our hands in the soil and learn where things, you know, where plants come from and how to grow and, and then bring those vegetables home and eat them ourselves. But, you know, it was a very short growing season, even out in Massachusetts, uh, but it was a, a fun experience for us to kind of have that opportunity in where in the town where I grew up. And so tell us about how you got involved with buying the growing spaces business then. Well, I'm an engineer. I've been working here in Colorado as an engineer pretty much my entire career. Um, so I was actually laid off from my job last year and just, you know, I'm 48 years old and just kind of always had that 
entrepreneurial bug, but I really wanted to do something that kind of helps with the environment and helps with climate change and helps with sustainable living. So I was looking at companies in, in photovoltaics and other sustainable technologies. And in my search, I came across this company, uh, Ugar and Pooja were looking to retire and they were, uh, they had put their business up on the market and the real, the product um, being the energy efficient kind of net zero design really attracted me, attracted me both to the product and to the company and really felt like that we would have the ability to help promote a, a healthier and more sustainable lifestyle through the sale and distribution of, of the growing dome. Uh, so that's really where we got excited about it. And we've had a lot of fun working with the staff and, and meeting our customers and, and learning more about organic gardening as we go. Um, with the hope that eventually we will have our own domes where we live here in, in Golden, Colorado. Um, but for the time being, really learning from the, from the domes we have uh, based in Pagosa Springs. So it's been an incredible experience here over the past year. Well, so many things I can think of there. And my husband actually <laughs> was born in Colorado in Cheyenne Wells, which is kind of the southwest southeast corner i think but okay. we've been through like boulder and down his grandma was in colorado springs when we first got married so we've been down there a few times and i know he lived outside of aspen in a little town called basalt i think okay for a we while. have quite a few in basalt so um so it's really interesting about and then of course i'm thinking i'll bet has your business been booming with um uh, I don't, like all the cannabis down there, people are probably growing in these greenhouses. I would think too. <laughs> yeah, um, people do use our domes to grow cannabis. We don't market directly to that industry, um, and and it doesn't really apply to necessarily commercial growers of cannabis due to the the dome shape. Um, but it's perfect if you're just going to grow your own cannabis in your backyard for your own uh, purposes. Um, but, you know, we really try to market more to the home gardener, uh, just growing organic fruits and vegetables. Uh, we do sell to a lot of schools and community gardens uh, for that purpose as well. But, you know, we definitely don't shy away from the cannabis industry. As those plants are, are very happy in our, in our dome. Oh, bet. So <laughs> speaking of backyard community gardeners, since listeners can't visualize what I'm seeing on your website, do you want to tell listeners a little bit about, like, what do the domes look like? Like, what's the base made out of and, you know, how big are they? Do they come in different sizes? And just, like, tell them about the kits. Absolutely. Yeah, we sell the dome in six different sizes, uh, ranging all the way from uh, 15 feet in diameter to 42 feet in diameter, depending on, on your application. So if you're just growing food for for uh, a family of two or three, you, you can probably grow it in the 15 foot uh, diameter, which is about 150 square foot of gardening space. Um, the 42 foot dome, we usually sell into schools and community gardens and, and would feed 15 or more people uh, out of that dome. Um, and it is a pretty large structure at that point. Um, so yeah, and then, then four different sizes in between. And we have all, we have uh, five of the six sizes available for display in uh, our facility in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And then we have actually three of the 42-foot domes um, at what's called the Geothermal Greenhouse Partnership in downtown Pagosa Springs, and we have access to those as well. And they're doing some exciting things with those domes. They have one that's uh, geared towards education, and they bring in the local school kids to do uh, classes and different um, uh, programs in that dome. They have one for the community that's more of that community where they can rent beds or have different uh, community groups come in and use the dome. And then the third dome is actually what they call the innovation dome, uh, which they use for farm to table restaurants and local restaurants and local growers come in to do more innovation with aquaponics and hydroponics. Um, but to get back to your other question, you know, these are, uh, you know, what you would picture a geodesic shape, you know, invented by Buckminster Fuller. Uh, it's made out of a five wall polycarbonate panel, glazing panel uh, that are, you know, we cut into triangles to form the geodesic shape. And we use um, uh, Douglas fir lumber as the structure of the geodesic dome. And then we just have a two foot wall 
uh, structural wall at the bottom uh, to form the, the circular foundation. Um, and then we put uh, very energy efficient uh, insulation and then weather resistant siding around the base of the dome as well. Now, do you install them or it's like a kit people can install themselves? Like, do they have to be in Colorado or how does that work? Uh, either way, we ship all over the, the world. Um, so you can install it yourselves. You just kind of need to be somewhat handy with a saw and a socket wrench. Um, or you can hire us to install it. We, we do most of our installs here in Colorado, but we will fly anywhere in the world to go do the install or help you find a contractor uh, locally to do the install. But we have all the instructions online. We have helpful videos uh, to show you how to install it. And you can always call us if you have any questions and we'll, we'll guide you through the installation process. Um, and it can take anywhere from maybe three days for the 15 foot to maybe six days for the 42 foot dome. And what come, like, what's the base made out of? Are all the bases the same? Or like, it seems like I was looking at something that had like rock bases or what's the base that the, that plastic glazing sits on top of? All the bases that we ship are the same. It's just a, a lumber structure two foot high. But a lot of uh, dome owners will customize the siding on the outside of the dome. And that may be important if you have an HOA or if you want to match uh, the decor of your house. Um, so we encourage people to kind of customize that siding and make it look uh, kind of how they want it to look based on their outdoor landscaping. But behind that siding or behind uh, whatever landscaping material they're using for the outside of the dome, the structure is the same. It's just a simple lumber uh, structure. So I'm sure people are curious, like what can you, like, I mean, you don't have to give us like exact, for like a ballpark for like a 15 foot structure. I mean, like, is it over $10,000 or under over $500 or like what kind of price range? Like would somebody like for a basic so for the one start out? 15, at? yeah, basic kit. Um, just for the kit itself, not including shipping or installation would be about $7,800. Um, and then the prices kind of go up slightly from there. One of our more popular kits, which is the, the 22 foot uh, growing dome, uh, starts at uh, $12,000, um, and then all the way up to the 42-foot uh, dome is 39000 And that's really just for the kit itself. And then you'd work with our product specialist to talk about, you know, where you're located, if you want it delivered or shipped, and then talk through all the installation options. Now, there are also some owner-supplied items that are kind of big and bulky for us to ship, like some of the insulation and some of the sheet metal, and we'll go over kind of the costs of those that, that you would go out and purchase at, at Home Depot uh, prior to the installation. So how much could somebody plan to, like, or I don't know, to grow, or like how cold can it get that people, like, can work because I know like when Mike like plastics over places outside he figures he can go down to about 27 degrees and then after that you know it's just not gonna nothing's gonna go on like how cold can it get inside of these things and can like can you buy heaters for them yeah we we do recommend heaters for some of the colder climates where maybe you're not getting as much sun we, we sell a lot up into Canada um, where you do want some external heat here in Colorado, you typically can grow year-round without external heat. And the reason for that is, is there's an indoor pond that acts as a thermal mass. So during the day when the sun's out, that pond will heat up, and then it'll radiate the heat back out during the, 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 the nights. Um, so it typically stays about 25 degrees warmer inside the dome than it is outside the dome, even in the dead of night. Um, so you, you can really kind of plan around that and make sure your vegetables are warm and cozy in there uh, during the night. But if you are going to have a long period of cold without sun, then, then you may need to bring in external heat just to keep those plants plants alive. And, you know, we have had experiences where people can grow tomatoes year round and it hasn't gotten cold enough in the dome uh, to frost your, your tomatoes. But we still recommend, you know, the frost hardy plants, the, the leafy greens and the kale and so forth, just to make sure that it's optimized for the for the winter. Interesting. 
So that could really pay off after not many years if you are like basically producing. I mean, you know, I don't buy tomatoes from the store 90% of the year. So if there was only like a month or two that I couldn't have a tomato in there. Um, but you could have probably fresh tomatoes in Montana from June through November, I bet, with this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Which would if be not huge longer. for us. Yeah. yeah, maybe even sooner. So... Um, and then just all the other things that you could grow and it just be so cool. I was looking at this, um, house the other day that somebody was moving into and they had like this just really nice glassed in porch. And I was like, Oh, it'd be so nice to sit here with the kitchen table and just enjoy. And this kind of looks like it would be like that kind of a place that not, you would just have a garden, but like that you could hang out in. Like I see there's pictures of chairs and things in some of the pictures. Yeah, we have some customers that put build yoga studios in there or oh. build mezzanines for places to sit kind of up above the plants. Um, and we do, you know, some customers do parties in there and keep the center space open so they can have a table and or just go out there and have dinner. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different uses for the dome than just growing food. And people really kind of get kind of a spiritual experience out of being in there and, and being with the plants. And, and it's just, it's a very kind of warm and, and humid environment that's different from what we see here in Colorado and some of the drier climates. And so people just enjoy being in there because it's a different experience. And the other thing I really like about it is like, this was always a big struggle with me with the schools is that when the majority of the work in the gardens going on is during summer when kids are out of session. And so this really extends the growing season and learning season for kids. So yeah, I really it, like exactly. that part. Exactly. We, we work with a lot of schools um, and, and they have really great curriculum, both around growing gardens as well as, you know, STEM curriculum and learning about the engineering of the dome and the thermodynamics of the dome and, and how it can be used for different applications and, and kind of running their experiments and their project based learning inside the dome. So uh, it's been really fun to visit a lot of the schools here in the area and see what types of curriculum they're using around the growing dome. Now, is there something to that design that makes it more like heat efficient or that kind of thing? And then also I'm like more curious about what you were saying about there's a pond. Is there a pond in all of them? There's a, we, it comes standard with the pond to act as the thermal mass. Uh, we do have customers that will use uh, geothermal we talked about or, or other uh, types of thermal mass. Um, but the pond is a really nice feature because not only does it act as a thermal mass, but you can grow fish in there, either decorative fish or actually harvest fish, uh, use the fish waste for aquaponics and for the nutrients to, for your plants. And, and kids, kids go crazy over the fish as well, right? Um, so it really kind of fits well with an aquaponics type system, uh, having that pond both as a thermal mass as well as, as harvesting fish. Um, but really, the, the, the key to the system is the passive solar design using those polycarbonate panels. And really, those panels kind of diffuse the light, the right amount of light and the right types of light that, that plants love. Um, and so it just kind of bathes the plants in the light as well as uh, warming the greenhouse. Uh, there are some solar-powered fans. We, the kit comes with some uh, photovoltaic panels that power some of the internal uh, fans, as well as there's a, a water fountain in the dome to circulate the air, as well as there's an undersoil fan that kind of keeps the soil uh, nice and warm and humid in the wintertime uh, that, that runs off solar power. So it is a net zero design. You don't need any external power. Um, unless you want it for grow lights or any other applications that you may be, you know, bringing into the dome, but it will be uh, self-sufficient without any external power or heat sources. Oh, well, that's so cool. And, you know, I got to tell you, as somebody who's looked at a lot of career websites, there's nothing out there more than like engineering jobs, it seems like to me. So teaching kids those skills, um, is huge. And, you know, Steve Jobs' big complaint was always, we don't have enough engineers in the United States. We don't have enough engineers. So one of the things I noticed in it is like, and this is something I know about greenhouses, is you need to have ventilation. It looks like the top, do they all just like, do, does each panel open like a window or are there certain windows or like to let like the fair, yeah, you know, air in there? There's certain, there's certain panels that open and close. We call those vents. 
uh, depending on the size of the dome, there'll be some on the bottom and some on the top. And those are pretty standard, uh, what we call either Bayless or Gigavent vent openers that you can buy at, at any kind of greenhouse store. But how they're controlled is it's actually a beeswax that expands and contracts with the heat. So when it's cold inside the dome, those vents will close to retain the heat. And as the dome warms up over the day, day they'll slowly open as that beeswax expands. And it kind of creates a little bit of a chimney effect where cooler air can come in from the bottom and then escape out, out of the top as well. Uh, we do also have an option for a solar attic fan, which also in increases circulation uh, that's controlled with a PV panel on the top of the dome um, and turns on based on a thermostat. Um, and that's another option people, people like just to help improve their circulation, um, as well as uh, in windy conditions, we prefer those because those vents can blow off if you get a sudden gust of wind before that vent can close. Um, but it really is a nice feature of the, of the greenhouse design. Awesome. Well, what else can you tell us about them? Is there anything that we haven't covered? Um, I just, I think we talked about the customization really. I mean, we sell the shell of the dome you know, along with the, the indoor pond. Um, but then it's up to you to really kind of design what you want to do inside the dome with, with the bed design. You know, if you want to use hydroponics or aquaponics um, or any other type of uh, features in the dome, um, obviously customizing the outside of the dome and fitting in with your landscaping. But what we found is, is once, once it's built, customers really just have a lot of fun kind of designing and building it out. And even if they're not gardeners, they have a lot of fun kind of learning how to garden in the dome. It is going to be a little different than gardening outside. You're going to have some different uh, challenges with kind of, you know, bugs and things of that nature. But the same, same principles of integrated pest management apply you know, inside the dome as they would outside. And, and you can actually use the dome to introduce beneficial insects and things of that nature. So in meeting with our customers uh, around the state and around the country, it's been a lot of fun kind of picking up what they've learned about growing in the dome and, and how they adapt to uh, the different ecosystems uh, within the dome as well. And, you know, also using the vertical space because you'll get different climates throughout the, the vertical aspects of the dome as well. So it's just been a, a lot of fun kind of seeing how customers have been using and, and customizing their domes. Cool. Well, you've certainly got lots of pictures of different designs and different things people are doing. There's lots of cool landscape pictures and pretty flowers and vegetables and just tons of different designs there. So, and probably you could have bees even in some of these, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. We have one one of our product specialists, Kyle, is an expert in bees as well. Um, we usually recommend if you are going to do a hive that you do it kind of somewhat away from the dome. So as you're working in there, you don't kind of interrupt their territory. Um, and if you have, you know, the hive kind of, you know, about 20 feet away from the dome, it's not going to be part of their territory. They'll still fly in there and pollinate and do what they need to do, but they're not going to interrupt your, your gardening. Um, so we have a lot of customers doing that as well. We actually have a hive just outside uh, Pagosa Springs, our domes there as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Now, where's Pagosa Springs again? Is that like Southern Colorado? Is it's it by Aspen? Southern Colorado. Sorry. Yeah, it's actually um, uh, just on the west side of Wolf Creek Pass. Uh, in between Wolf Creek and Durango in the southern part of the state. We're known for our hot springs. We have the deepest hot springs in the world. So if you're going to come through Pagosa, uh, we definitely encourage you to go visit those hot springs as well as visit our, our facility there. Uh, we're right off of 160. Um, so call ahead or we're there 8 to 5 Monday through Friday as well. Just stop in and, and say hi. Uh, we are going to look to start, you know, building more of these demonstration domes uh, closer to Denver. So it's a little more accessible. Pagosa Springs is about five hours from Denver, um, but that will probably be uh, next year sometime. Cool. So what else? Anything else you want to tell us about them? Yeah, you mentioned the website. I encourage people to go to the website. There's a lot of good content there, um, both on the website and in our blog post, as well as a lot of videos on our different customers and how they're using their domes. Uh, so we really want our website to be very educational, both on the domes themselves, as well as just a resource for any 
organic gardener, um, and uh, we're going to be building more content around uh, integrated pest management and soil management and organic gardening here over the course of the next year. Uh, so be looking for that. Uh, you can always sign up for our newsletter as well to get updates on on uh, our blog posts as well as uh, local dome tours. If, you know, a lot of times our customers will open up their domes uh, for people in the area. So we send that out via our newsletter. So I definitely encourage you to go to growingspaces.com and just kind of peruse the website and learn as much as you can about gardening and, and the growing dome. Excellent. Well, uh, I guess... Do you, uh, I guess I'll just go with my, well, do you have any like business advice for listeners or people that want to get maybe started? Maybe they even want to open, um, I don't know, are you going to franchise it all down the line? Or if they wanted to become like a, you know, installer for you in certain areas or just anything that you've learned about creating a sustainable green business that you want to pass on? Yeah, there could be a couple things. Um, you know, one of our challenges, obviously, is is shipping. Um, it, it, it's a pretty big kit and it comes on two crates. And so when we ship across the country, it costs it costs the customer a little bit of money and, you know, obviously adds carbon to the environment. Um, so we are going to start to look at ways where we can drop ship materials or, or source locally and have installers and sales reps and experts in various areas around the country. And we, we do have a, a number of those today uh, scattered throughout the country. But, you know, it really, you know, we would be looking more for our customers, people who already have a growing dome, so they could also use that growing dome as a demonstration dome and bring customers in and show it and teach teach them about it and then be able to kind of provide that advice locally versus having to come to Pagosa. So, I mean, if there are people who are interested in doing something like that, we encourage you to reach out. Um, but more so, you know, we're really starting to work with more businesses, you know, farm-to-table restaurants, assisted living facilities, uh, Indian reservations, um, all sorts of different kind of small business applications for the use of the dome. You know, a lot of our customers do supply, actually supply food to local restaurants as well as local communities and food shares out of their domes. So there's a lot of commercial and nonprofit and charitable applications for the dome um, throughout, throughout the different communities um, that we've seen. So it's, it's, uh, I'd encourage people to kind of look at that as an option too, if they're going to grow extra food out of their dome to be able to even sell it at farmer's markets. We have a lot of customers just selling their produce out of the local farmer's markets as well. Well, that's so interesting because so yesterday I was kind of, while I was working on my garden course, I was going back and listening to this interview I did with, um, Anastasia Cole Pocaeus, who, uh, worked on the farm on the roof at the Brooklyn Grange in New York. It's like one of the biggest farms and they install farms all around, um, teach people how to install rooftop farms. And just one of the things they really talked about for their bottom line is building those relationships with other people and how, um, she just talked a lot about the same things that you're talking about, looking at other people in the community that you can help serve in that by, um, you know, focusing on what you do best and help, helping them focus on what they do best, you know, finding ways that you can help each other and come out with an overall outcome. It sounds like you're doing a lot of that, like you said, working with farm to table restaurants and Indian reservations. And I used to teach on an Indian reservation. So that's kind of, um, you know, something near and dear to my heart. And then, you know, helping with community gardens, or like I said, a lot of my listeners are interested in becoming, um, market farmers. And I know in Montana, one of the challenges for sure is if you're going to be a market farmer is, you know, Mike and I, like we come up with shares from August, through September maybe, but like, it'd be very hard for us, or at least we haven't quite figured out what we'd go in a share up until August. You know, there's just not that much growing here. So it might help like people like us, or like even I just said, you know, being able to have tomatoes, um, would be yeah. huge. 
Yeah, I mean, we just we just did a video on a customer in Leadville, Colorado, that's growing at 10,000 feet, and they do a food share, and then they sell beds, and they're able to do that 12 months out of the year. So it's, it's a very exciting project. And that used to be a Superfund site based on the mining industry in that town. So it's really even a, a better story in the sense that they built this community garden right on top of a, you know, where, where mining waste used to be after they cleaned it up from being a Superfund site. So there's a lot of great uh, applications like that. And, and even over the course of time, you know, as, as the business grows, what we'd like to do and my wife and I would like to do is, is be able to make sure we're, we're donating, you know, a percentage of our profits and donating domes to uh, more impoverished communities, food insecure families and schools and, and other types of nonprofits that, that don't have the benefit of having, you know, organic food in their community or their organic food is, is very expensive. Um, and this really gives them the ability to grow their own organic food. And, and we have uh, we have one in South Chicago right now where, where they're growing food for, for the local community, as well as, you know, the far north reaches of Canada where they have zero access to organic food. And they're they're growing their own food even even year round where the sun is only shining six months out of the year. Um, so there's some you know, we'd really like to make sure that this business is supporting those types of applications and giving everybody on the planet access. To, to fresh grown organic food year round. Excellent. So here's my final question. It's kind of a doozy. If there's <laughs> one change you would like to see to create a greener world limb, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Yeah, I mean, locally is, is the key word in my mind, that, that, that everything should be sourced locally, whether it's energy from the sun or other types of renewable energies that you can harvest locally, or whether it's your food and you're sourcing your food locally or you're growing your food locally. I mean, obviously that that not only kind of helps the infrastructure in terms of supporting less greenhouse emissions through transportation, but what it also does is it builds community and it brings people together um, and, and, you know, around a common cause, uh, whether it's energy or whether it's food or other sustainable living. Um, so there's a lot of charities that we support that, that, that we love, you know, here in Colorado, Denver Urban Gardens is really trying to build more of these community gardens. Uh, I'm really a big fan of the Whole Kids Foundation and, and what Whole Foods is doing around Whole Kids and Whole Earth and, and trying to provide local gardens uh, around the planet for more impoverished uh, communities. Um, and, you know, just smaller charities like the one I mentioned, Cloud City Farm. Uh, which is c4leadville.org. Uh, there's Pine River uh, Community Garden out of Bayfield. I mentioned the geothermal uh, project out of Pagosa Springs. All of these community projects and nonprofits are really doing a lot uh, to improve uh, the, where the local food is coming from and, and to really bring community together. So uh, we're a big fan of, of anybody kind of out there uh, doing locally grown uh, food or, or local energy sources and renewable energy sources. Cool. My husband and I are really interested, or certainly he is, in the geothermal heating and, um, you know, power and just any kind of energy like that. And so, and then we're also big on really growing local. So, um how about an inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Oh, you know, I get most of my inspiration from our customers, you know, through the course of the summer, we've been filming a lot of these videos and, and capturing our, our customer testimonials and, and they say some great things. I mean, all the way from just saying, you know, eat more vegetables to, to, you know, nothing can compete with right off the vine. Um, and, and regarding the dome, you know, things just want to grow. Uh, so these are the types of kind of uh, inspirational quotes that we have in, in the videos that we have online that kind of inspire me to want to get my hands in the dirt and, and learn to grow my own food because I'm not necessarily practicing what I preach today um, since I'm not a, uh, I don't have one in my backyard yet, but we're, we're getting there. We'll, we'll have one soon. So we're excited about that. Awesome. So my, another question that came up to me while I was thinking about it, cause it kind of reminds me of a yurt in an abstract type of way, but yurts, 
can be taken down and moved a little bit. Like, can you, once you put this up, is it like up for good and you can never move it? Or like if somebody didn't have their final place that they were living, like, could you move one of these once it's built? Or is it like pretty much that structure's there to stay and you might as well just get a new one and sell it with the land type of deal? <laughs> yeah, it, it can be moved. I wouldn't say it's as easy as moving a yurt because it does take some, some assembly required. So it takes about as long to disassemble it as it does to assemble it. Um, and again, if you are in a windy area, we do recommend cement piers. Uh, and then you'd anchor it to the cement piers. Um, so those are a little more permanent. Uh, otherwise, we, we have a design for a gravel ring foundation, which is uh, more temporary and can be moved easier. So, But there are options. I wouldn't recommend moving it very often, but we do if, if people do move um, and we can certainly move your dome or you can move it yourselves if you have a pickup truck and a, and a trailer. I'll tell you, as far as tiny homes go, I could almost live in one of these things. It looks like it is so pretty and just, it just looks so like a nice place. You've got those pictures there of some of them in the middle of the snowy winter and just, they look really cool. And I just love the whole glass piece. Uh, we're really into big, you know, windows in our house. We have a lot of south facing windows and just, I love to have that sun. I used to tell people I'm like solar powered. Like I just love when the sun comes out, you can't hardly keep me inside some days. I'm not a hot yeah. weather girl though. I like the sun on a cold, crisp day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a passive solar, so it does diffuse the light and that just kind of bathes you in that, in that warm light. And and with the geodesic shape, the snow kind of just fluffs off the dome. So it kind of opens up, opens it up to the sun as soon as that sun comes out and the snow melts just a little bit. It'll, it'll slough off the dome and, and, and start to bathe your plants again. So it's really a, a great design in terms of uh, preventing, you know, snow and hail and, and, and um, wind especially because uh, with the geodesic shape, the wind just kind of runs over and actually pushes it down to the ground. So uh, we've actually had domes withstand, you know, hurricane force winds where, where other structures obviously uh, do not fare as well. Well, and the other problem we've had two or three different times now is they, Mike's had um, structures break under the weight of the snow, where it's just like you, you can't even imagine that the plastic doesn't rip before the um either like if it's metal, like they've actually like bent or like wood beams have actually split under the weight of the snow here in Montana that he was just shot last winter. Uh, several people I know lost tons of hoop houses. And I don't think that this thing, you know, I think because of the design of this, it's not going to have that problem. Yeah. No, we're rated up to in some areas, 160 pounds per square foot of snow load. Uh, we have some in, in the Tahoe region where you get that wet, heavy Sierra cement and our domes are doing just fine, even with that heavy amount of snow. So it's really a great design for, for snow. Nice. Well, tell everybody again, your website and how they can connect with you if they want more information. Yeah. Our website is uh, www.growingspaces.com where you can call us anytime at uh, 800 753 9333 uh, to talk to one of our product specialists and, and get more information about the dome or yeah like I said the website has, has a ton of information um, and we encourage you to check out some of the videos or, or go to our YouTube channel as well cool well thanks so much for taking some time with us today Lem I know you were really busy and I know you were sick yesterday and so I'm glad you're feeling better and we got this in and I just hope um they're just beautiful and just so such a great thing to help people extend their season and be more productive and and the sustainability piece is fantastic so thank you so much Okay, man. Thank you, Jackie. I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. This is my first podcast, so it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I really appreciate your time. Sure. Well, thank you. I am always excited to talk. Uh, I just love my podcast. My guests are amazing. My listeners are amazing. It's just connected me with so many great people, and um, and we're changing the world. So that's what's important. We're teaching people how different options for growing food and how to you know, make it easier for them. So. Yeah, no, and that's amazing. Really just to give people the confidence to go out and grow their own food, whether it's just a, a windowsill farm or you go out and buy a starter aquaponics kit or just something to get you started and, you know, go buy a community bed. Um, it's, you know, just, just get started and then you'll learn to love it. 
cool. Hey, green future growers. Did you get your copy of the Organic Gardener podcast, Garden Journal and Record Keeper? One of the things that I've learned to be most beneficial for my guests that will save you time and energy is to keep detailed records of your garden journey. So I think I finally found the secret and made a garden journal data keeper that starts any day of the year because uh, you just fill it in. It's blank. There's no calendar. So you just it's got the days of the week. You can record temperature, freeze dates, frost dates, um, when you planted, what variety you got all in one place. So get your copy of the Organic Gardener podcast, Garden Journal, and Data Keeper today. Hey there, green future growers. Would you like your friends and neighbors to create an organic oasis too? Would you like others in your area to learn about earth-friendly practices for their gardens and yards? If so, we would love it if you would share the Organic Gardener podcast with your local community or college radio station today. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local. Thank you.